May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, on Monday in Bible information class, we studied Satan's temptation in the Garden of Eden. It was an all-out attack on God, trying to get Adam and Eve to his side, trying to break their beautiful relationship with their Heavenly Father. And, and as we studied it, we got some insights into how temptation works, into how Satan works. He started with that full frontal attack, calling God a liar. When Eve told him that there was punishment for, for eating the fruit of that tree, he said, no, no, no. And then he, he went with the angle of, of trying to get Eve to, to doubt that God had her best interest in mind. To doubt that God was looking out for her, saying, he's holding out on you. Not letting you know everything. Not letting you experience good and evil. That, that'd be like accusing a parent of holding out on their child because they won't let them experience drinking Drano or eating rat poison. Technically, it's true, but it's totally misunderstanding the parent and misrepresenting that parent. It's good that the parent doesn't want that child to experience that poison. It's good that God wants his children to experience good. But you know how the story went. Eve bought it. She believed that God was holding out on her and the fruit looked pretty good and so she ate and Adam went right along with her. And so they brought death into our world. They rebelled against God and, and brought all of the brokenness that comes with that punishment of death. And so here we are. In a world where you hear of a new shooting every day, where the wars don't even make front page news, they're somewhere way down the scroll, the feed on, on the scroll, because, well, there's nothing new there. Here we are in a world filled with disappointment and sickness and broken relationships and death. Because we still buy it. We still believe Satan's lie that God's holding out on us. And, and so we better do things our way or the way the people around us do it, not God's. Am I being dramatic? Well, how would you have done in Abraham's test in our first reading this morning? Commanded to break his own heart in order to obey God. You really think Satan wasn't screaming in his ear, See, Abraham, God doesn't love you. God doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's telling you to kill your son. But of course, Abraham trusted God. Why? Because he knew God could be trusted. And so do you. Deep down, that faith living in your heart, you know that God's got this. Even when your world seems to be falling apart, even when, when there's one problem after another, you know that God is working for your good. Because you know 
that God did not spare his son. He, he gave his son. You saw it in the gospel. Jesus faced off against Satan for us. Going hungry, fighting temptation, and defeating it perfectly in all those ways that we so often don't. And now in our text from Romans 8 here, Paul tells us what that means for us. You ready for what that means? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Our sins can't do it. Our sufferings and sorrows can't do it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So let's start with that first part. Our sins can't separate us from the love of God. Does that sound right? If you've been reading your Bible, maybe your heresy detector is springing up a little bit here and you're saying, well, wait a second, Pastor. Isn't that exactly what sins do? Separate us from God? I mean, Isaiah 59 says this. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's what God says. Or Colossians 1. You were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. I mean, we even all said it together today. We confessed. I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed God in my thoughts, words, and actions. I've done what is evil and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment both now and in eternity. So, yeah, it's pretty clear our sins do separate us from God. God's word says it, and you felt it too, right? In the guilt of what you've done, you really feel close to God. In the mess that your mistakes have made, it makes sense that, that we shouldn't be able to, to go to God. Except God is God. Which means God is love. Our sins separate us from God, but his love bridges that gap. Speaking to us who know everything that is against us because of our failures, this is what he says. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? We were separated, but God sent his son. He gave up his son, abandoning him to the cross so that he could reclaim us as his own. His love overcomes that separation. But of course, Satan's going to jump in here and say, no, 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 no. What about all the awful things this rebel has done? And then he'll remind you of, of your worst sins, and he'll be right. Your heart will hear that. Paul thought of that. He wrestled with that. And so he says this, next verse. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Satan might try, but he's got no right to. Why? It is God who justifies. God has declared you not guilty because of what his son has done. And he is always right. That is always true. Look at the next verse. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, 
More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Just so it will never be forgotten that the price of your sins has been paid, Jesus is eternally at his Father's right hand, testifying to your forgiveness, testifying to your perfection, the perfection he gave you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Your sins certainly can't. What sins? Jesus has already washed them away. He's drowned them in the depths of the sea. So tell Satan to zip it when, when he tries to, to control you with them because nothing can separate us from the love of God. And just to make sure that you're tracking, Paul goes on with another question because he knows what Satan's next lie will be. He knows Satan's going to jump in here and, and, and say, oh, no, 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 no. You really think you're not separated from the love of God? Look at the evidence. Look at your life. If God loved you, would, would life be so rough? If God loved you, would you really have the troubles that you have? And so, so Paul asks his question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? You can almost hear Satan saying, see, proof! All of these things prove that God doesn't love you. The stresses you have, the troubles you have to deal with, the, the persecution you face, the, the, the bad things that happen, proof God doesn't love you. But then Paul goes on. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, God said, God had promised that his followers would be persecuted, would have trials, would have troubles. Look at Abraham in our first reading. Our troubles are not proof that God doesn't love us. Our troubles are proof that we're living in a world that's hostile to God. But we know something about those troubles. Look at the next verse. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Jesus suffered all of these things so that we could have victory over them. The trouble, the hardship, the persecution, the nakedness, the danger, the famine, the sword. And he demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he rose, proving that our sins are paid for, proving that our victory is won so Paul can conclude our text like he does. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. You know the story of Paul Gerhard? He was a, a German who lived in the 17th century. His dad died when he was very young. When he was 10, the 30 years war started in his homeland, which meant that most of his life was in a war zone. He had to watch his 
home and his church and a good chunk of his, his village burned to the ground by the Swedish army, even after they had paid what was demanded of them, nothing was fair. And as if that weren't bad enough, later that summer, the plague came through and killed 300 of his fellow townspeople. He wanted to help. He wanted to become a pastor. So he studied for the ministry. But when he graduated because of the war and the way that the government and the church were, were intertwined, he, he didn't get a chance to be a pastor for nine years. Nine years later, after the war, he, he finally was, was made a pastor and, and preached faithfully, but it wasn't long before his truth disagreed with the prince and he was deposed, disgraced, unemployed. Trouble? Hardship? Persecution? Sword? He knew it. He lost one child and then another in the poverty of his unemployment. His wife died. And yet nothing could separate him from the love of Christ. How do I know? Well, you just sang his words. If God himself before me, I may a host defy. For when I pray before me, my foes confounded fly. If Christ, my head and master, befend me from above, what foe or what disaster can drive me from his love? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This I believe, yea, rather of this I make my boast, that God is my dear Father, my friend, who loves me most, and that whatever betide me, my Savior is at hand through stormy seas to guide me and lead me safe to land. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So we can sing with him that last verse, my heart for joy is springing and can no more be sad. My soul is filled with singing, sees only sunshine glad. The, the sun that cheers my spirit is Jesus Christ, my King. The heaven I shall inherit makes me rejoice and sing in Christ. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's confess our